Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. glorify your name. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We praise your name. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Amen. Your eyes upon Jesus look forth in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely down in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, turn your eyes upon. where we normally ask you to greet one another so wave to your neighbor it's good seeing you all here today hey before you sit down i want you to be able to sing well today is scott's birthday and so liz would you lead us in happy birthday to scott or do you want me to lead you don't want me to lead really Day to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Scott, happy birthday to you, You may be seated. He told me, don't you dare do that. I said, hey, bro, you got no say in the matter, so (laughs) try to trump my microphone. You can. Mine's louder than yours. Hey, before we get into the message today, just a couple quick announcements. Next week, we're going to start two Sunday morning services. We wanted to get two under our belt to see what this looked like, to see uh, how you were going to react, so on and so forth. With these restrictions that have been put on us, we will have one at 9 a.m., 
and another one at 11. So now you have a choice. Uh, keep in mind, we have this room open. We have chairs in the gymnasium with screens. We have a screen in the East Room with chairs in there as well. Um, and we are going to see how this goes. And we may stay permanently with two services even after the restrictions are lifted. We may not. We'll play it by ear, but uh, that's what's going to happen. So you have two options. For those of you who like to sleep in, you can come at 11. For you early risers, you'll be here at 9. Also, somebody asked me last week about offering. Uh, we are no longer uh, passing an offering plate because we've been asked not to. But if you notice in the foyer on each side, we now have a drop box receptacle that's there with a big floor sign that goes from floor to ceiling that talks about ways you can give. On that little box is also a container with tithe envelopes. You can fill that out. You can drop them in there. Our ushers take care of uh, collecting those and taking them back to the office. And, and just speaking of that, I, I just got to say... Um, I am literally blown away by your faithfulness in your giving to this church. You know, there are churches all over America that are struggling right now because when they didn't have church, people quit giving. And that's not been the story of High Point Assembly. It has been nothing short of miraculous uh, what's going on. I tell other pastors and they go, I can't believe that. We are actually up from last year in our giving. That's an amazing thing. I'd like to take credit for that, but I can't. That's the Lord. He gets credit for that, and it's you being faithful to your relationship with him. See my brother waving. Amen. I see that hand. Uh, one other thing. Um, somehow this got lost in the translation. Um, LifeNet, you remember every year we do a baby bottle drive for them. They usually give us hundreds of baby bottles. We pass them out to you. You fill them with coins. You bring them back to the church, and we present it to them. It's one of their biggest fundraisers of the year. Well, they had a day where you could drive by uh, over at, um, I think, the Vineyard Church and pick up your bottle, and not too many of them were picked up, and it never got really, because we haven't been meeting together. You haven't really received an announcement, but here's what I'd like to have happen. I, I, I believe in LifeNet. I believe in the work that they do, and uh, what I'd like you to do is if you can come next week with uh, your change, we have a change bin at our house that all the money in my pocket goes into. I used to cash it out and give it to my daughter every once in a while, but now I give it to, to uh, the, the works. But here's what else you can do. You can drop a 20, drop a green spot in there too. Don't just put coins in. We're going to have a container out in the foyer, a big basket. Just dump it in there. We're going to haul it all down to LifeNet, and we're going to see if we can't beat what we've done in years past, even in light of everything that's going on, even in light of the fact that you haven't been given preparation for this. So will you come prepared to bring your coins next week? and drop them in that basket so we can bless that, uh, that sister ministry that we support and believes in life. If there is one thing that we should stand for as, as followers of Jesus Christ, it's life. And we want to support them. So enough with the announcements. Let's go ahead and get on with our message today. We're going to continue this morning in our series called A Matter of Trust, where we've been looking at how essential it is to trust God at all times and in all circumstances. And our, our scripture reference that I hope that you have memorized by now is found in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. 
We began this series talking about how we all kind of have a selective trust in that we trust, seem to trust God in some things, but we have a difficult time trusting God in others. And I ask you the question, do you really trust in God in every aspect of your life? And I shared with you on that Sunday how that trust and obedience go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. In week two, we looked at how we must trust God for guidance and for direction in our life. But it goes much further than that in that when you receive his guidance, when you receive his direction, we've got to trust God enough to act upon what he's telling us to do. Because sometimes we want to find out what his guidance is, and then we put the brakes on and we say, I'm stopping there. Last week, we talked about trusting God in the storm. If anybody's in a storm right now, it's our nation. And we use Jesus, Mother Mary, as our example, because if anybody experienced storms in her life, it was Mary. We talked about the lessons that she learned throughout Jesus' life growing up, and especially during the crucifixion, the lesson of purpose, the lesson of promise, and the lesson of people. Well, today we're going to talk about trusting God for victory. And when you say the word victory in our day and age, you tend to think about sporting events. And when you think of uh, rather incredible sporting victories, there is one in particular that pops, pops out in my mind that I remember very well. It was an incredible story of victory that took place during the 1980 Winter Olympic Games. A dominant hockey team from the Soviet Union was favored to win their fifth gold medal out of the last seven Olympic tournaments. The Soviet team consisted of a bunch of professionally played payers who trained in state-of-the-art facilities and who were the pride of their communist nation. Their goaltender was undeniably one of the greatest goaltenders at that time. They were a dominant force in the world of hockey, and they were all hand-selected and groomed for this particular purpose. Well, the American team consisted of a bunch of college players. They were known to be gutsy and, and physical, but no one believed that they were any match for the professional overpowering Soviet team. No one gave them a chance. But what made this match even more intriguing at the time was that, as you recall, the U.S. And, 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 and Soviet Union was still engaged in a Cold War. So when the tournament led to an American-Soviet showdown, it added a whole patriotic element to that particular game. The Soviet Union didn't just want to win but they wanted to win decisively, while the Americans just wanted to represent their country well, show, them, show us how that heart and determination could overcome great odds. Well, as ex expected, it was a very hard-fought battle. The young Americans had their hands full playing against these gutsy uh, professional Russian players. In the second period, the Soviet Union dominated that game, outshooting the Americans 12 to 2 shots, and they took a 3 to 2 lead. Many felt like holding the Soviets to just three goals was a victory in itself. But with nearly nine minutes left in the third period, the Americans scored, and they tied the game at 3 3. And then, miraculously, only a minute and a half after that, Mark Pavlich sent a pass over to Mike Ruzioni, and he did a 25-foot wrist shot, and they scored again. They were ecstatic over what had happened, but then the Americans realized there was still 10 minutes left to play in a game. That's like an eternity in a hockey game. And the Soviet team came at them with everything that they had, American goaltender Jim Craig, he fought off a barrage of shots, and some of the saves were nothing short of unbelievable. And finally, with seven seconds left in the game, Craig cleared the puck, and the countdown began, 
and these young Americans defeated the team that was regarded as the finest in the world, and that victory will go down in sports histories as one of the greatest upsets of all time. In fact, they have a name for it, the Miracle on Ice. But what many don't remember is it was the following game in a 4-2 victory over Finland that the American hockey team actually won the gold medal. Though to them, beating the Soviet Union was like winning the gold medal. You know, you can find great stories of victory in sporting events, but I'm here to tell you this morning that some of the greatest and the most miraculous stories of victory are what you will find written in the pages of the Word of God. Time and time again, God brought about incredible victories in the life of his people. And what is always amazing is that God never does it in a way that we expect. His methods are, are so uncommon to our way of thinking. They are, they are so unconventional, and yet victory is always achieved. I can't help but think of, of David and Goliath, one of the greatest underdog scenarios and victories of all time, how a shepherd boy with a slingshot took down a, a fierce, trained, armor-covered giant of a man with just one small stone. I think of how Moses delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt without ever raising a sword. A nation that had been enslaved for hundreds of years literally walked out of Egypt untouched without one battle being fought. These are both stories of incredible victory and that on the surface seemed hopeless. But as you dissect the details of both of these events, you can clearly see how that supernaturally the power of God was at work. We see it over and over as we read the scriptures. Our God doing uncommon things through ordinary people that brings about the required results. And as I look through the Bible, there is one great story of victory that occurred in the Old Testament that happens to be one of my personal favorites. Because when you talk about the deck being stacked against someone, this clearly falls into that category. And I'd like to share it with you. It is in the book of Judges. In fact, you can turn there to Judges chapter 7. We're going to be reading from that in just a minute. While you're doing that, let me just give you a little background. The Midianites had occupied the land for, for seven years, and the children of Israel were being oppressed. Many of them were hiding out in caves and, and dens and in the strongholds of the mountains in order to stay alive. The Israelites would plant crops they would raise livestock only for the Midianites and the Amalekites to come and raid, and they would destroy the cop crops, and they would kill their livestock. They were a, a destitute people. They were oppressed. They were dominated at every turn, and they had no hope, or so they thought. That's when God called an average guy named Gideon to deliver his people from the hands of the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, he began with these words, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, if an angel ever approaches you that way, be prepared, because he's setting you up for something pretty big. But you know, just like uh, Moses, old Gideon told the angel that he was not the one to deliver the Israelites, and he came up with a multitude of excuses. He said that my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He said, I'm not the guy for this job. After a time of denying that he was the one, old Gideon needed a whole lot of assurance by this angel. In fact, he asked the angel for, for several signs. 
to show that he indeed had God's favor. And God provided those signs, and Gideon finally believed, and he was willing to trust God to lead him to victory. But the story gets a little bit more dramatic when God makes some last-minute changes that would probably make most people downright scared and running for the hills. Gideon gets up in the morning to rally his troops and to do what God has instructed him to do, and this is what happens. We're going to read this account. It's a little bit long. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 22. Then Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your, their hands, and lest, or lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whoever I say to you, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. <clears throat> now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it, so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand 
with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia, toward Zerera, and as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. What a story. And in a, such a non-conventional way, victory was given to the children of Israel and Gideon's trust in God for victory was fulfilled. And this morning, I want to focus a little bit on what we just read, how that God whittled down the ranks of 30,000 able-bodied men to just 300 men in order for this victory to occur. Can you imagine for a moment how Gideon was already feeling overwhelmed at the prospect of going down and having this battle against this enemy? But now God, in his infinite wisdom, has just reduced his forces to 300 men. I want you to remember what the scripture said about that army that settled in the valley. They were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, and the sand, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. I think it is safe to say there was a whole lot of, of, of an army down there in that valley. This army was enormous. You talk about complete trust in God. This was clearly trust in action. And the method that God used here was so unconventional. And I'm sure this approach would have never crossed Gideon's mind. And that is typically how God works. It seems he never brings about victory in a way that you and I thought of. It's always God's way. That's why it's often difficult for us to trust God for victory because his ways are not like ours. In our limited way of thinking, we will never see all of the options that are available for the final solution that God knows exists. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is where trust begins, allowing God to do his work in and through you that on the surface seems unattainable, that seems impossible. Now, as I speak about trusting God for victory, I want you to understand that victory can have many applications. But essentially, it's about overcoming. How many of you ever, through God's power, overcame something? Look at all the hands. Amen. Overcoming is about any battle or any struggle that you may encounter where it is essential that you come out with a definite victory. It's when you need supernatural assistance to fix things that are broken in your life. And I might add, many times they are broken through your own devices. 
and you realize that within your own strength, you're helpless, and you need God to intervene. It's a personal Goliath that we must slay. Maybe it's an insurmountable financial issue you're going through. Maybe it could involve mending a, a broken relationship or obtaining victory over a deeply broken heart. It might be being delivered or having victory over a negative and a destructive mindset. A very common battle is against a stronghold in our life, obtaining victory over, over an addiction or habitual sin that you just can't seem to break free from. Maybe your Goliath is simply living life in a God-honoring way because you find yourself slipping back into your same old sinful patterns over and over again. Here's the deal. Whatever you need victory over today, God is the one who you need to put your trust in because he sees the entire picture. His wisdom goes far beyond our human comprehension. His power is infinite. He holds within his hands the power to set you free, the power to make everything right, and to provide you with the victory that you so desperately need and that you so desperately desire. So as we look at these examples of victory found in the Bible, there are four points that I believe are essential to obtaining victory. I want to share them with you today so that you can apply them to your life. And the first one is this. To achieve victory in the war, you must win individual battles. You see, just like the, the American hockey team of 1980, they realized they had to first defeat the Soviet Union to even have a chance to win the gold medal. They did not allow themselves to look ahead past to that final game until they were granted that final game through a victory over this team from the Soviet Union. The same thing holds true in war. World War II was won by a string of victories of individual battles on many different fronts. And so if I can bring this down to a personal level, what I mean is this. We often put the cart before the horse. Patience and persistence is not usually our strong points. We have an American fast food mentality that exists in the body of Christ. We want it now with upsized fries. Thank you very much. It seems like when people need victory over something, they want simply someone to lay hands on them, to pray over them, and poof, victory is at hand. And don't get me wrong. God has done that many times for people, and victory is achieved, but it will only happen if it is God's will for it to happen that way. And so that leads me to ask you a question this morning. Is it possible that God, in his infinite wisdom, might just know the way to bring victory about in your life differently than you ever envisioned? And by doing it his way, that the victory might be even sweeter to you. Could it be that he may want to see you fight and win some daily battles on your way to complete victory? What I mean is that perhaps God is not only going to bring about the victory that you so desperately need and you so desperately desire, but through the process, you might actually play a part in it, meaning through it all, you are going to grow spiritually by leaps and bounds, and you'll learn to trust God in all areas of your life as you move forward from that point. You know, as a pastor, I get calls from people who want counseling 
for a variety of reasons, and I'm not the only one. In fact, Chris does the majority of the counseling around here. What a gift he is in that area. But it's amazing to me how often this scenario takes place. People come in and they tell me their life is falling apart. They say things like, I just cannot live a victorious Christian life. It's out of my reach. It's too much of a struggle for me because I struggle with sin. They are living defeated and they are living dejected and they are feeling unempowered to do anything. It's like they're going down with a sinking ship. So as we talk, I start to ask them some basic questions. How's your prayer life going? And they tell me that it's non-existent. I ask them if they've sought guidance from God's word and they tell me no. I ask them who they're spending their time with and they tell me that they're hanging out with the same old crowd from their past life that got them into some of the very issues that they're struggling with and need victory over right now. They're not attending church on any kind of a regular basis. And when they do come, they come to get fed when they feel like it, on their terms, when they need some kind of a spiritual fix, and they're spotty in their commitment to Jesus. In other words, they're not doing anything to grow deeper in faith in Christ, and then they wonder why there is no victory in their life. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it, it seems we always want to throw everything off on God when there's no effort and there's no participation on our part. It's like we want God to wave his magical wand over top of us and everything be okay. When he's saying no, no, you're going to play a part in this victory. You're going to learn to fight these individual daily battles that are completely winnable. Through my spirit, he says, you are going to fight through the discouragement and the doubt that the enemy has placed before you. What I'm trying to say is that we actively need to pursue and to deepen our relationship with Jesus. We must take it as seriously or more seriously than anything else in our life, and we've got to be passionate about it because fighting and winning these daily battles, it's essential to you winning the bigger war that you so desperately need victory over. You got to see victory over the, that these little things is possible so that when the big ones come, your faith is strong. In 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. On numerous occasions, the Apostle Paul refers to our Christian walk as a fight. And here's an essential truth for you this morning. You got to fight for your faith sometimes. You got to fight. Trusting God for victory does not mean that you just sit back. You must be proactive in living your life for Jesus. Victory starts when you dedicate your life to him fully, when you see his righteousness lived out in your daily life, walking upright, walking circumspect, and in a way from the entanglements that once used to hold you down and in bondage. Proverbs 2, 7 says, He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. So therefore, we must work towards those things that serve to strengthen us spiritually. If you know that people you are associating with are detrimental to your Christian walk, then make a tough decision to change that. Begin to align yourself with fellow Christians who can hold you accountable and who can encourage you in your faith and in your battle. If you're never in prayer, find some time to pray. Schedule some time in your day to be before God and to seek his face. 
If your Bible is dusty, then pick it up and wipe it off and crack it open and take a look. You will discover that there are words of life in there for you. It's a love letter from God to you personally. What I'm trying to say is this. When you pursue God and Christ and his faithfulness and his fullness, and you put in, uh, it puts you in a much greater position to win some of these daily battles that you are failing miserably in because you're not leaning in to your source of power. And victory in these daily battles is essential for victory in the overall war that you're facing because it all goes to building up your faith. Have the courage, have the determination to choose those obvious battles that are within your ability to overcome, like purging your life from harmful influences that once brought you down. Yes, it can be difficult, and yes, it requires a little bit of steel in your spine, but you got to learn to fight. This is when I believe that God steps in and supernaturally helps you to live a life of complete victory. He brings about the victory that you are seeking because now you are in touch with the Holy Spirit of the living God, and you are allowing him to guide you through your day. No longer are you putting yourself at the mercy of bad decisions and bad influences. Instead, you are putting your life into God's hands and directed by the Holy Spirit. And that is a formula for complete victory in whatever you're facing today. Number two, don't let your, ad your adversary intimidate you. I love Philippians 1. 28, the New Living Translation says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. See, just like that American hockey team, you cannot let the mystique or the tradition of your adversary affect you. Whomever, whatever your, your adversary is, what, whatever you need victory over today, don't believe all the hype. You may not be going into battle to save your people like Gideon did, and I know you're not facing a Shaquille O'Neal on steroids like David did, but whatever you need victory over this morning, it is important that you remember this. No matter how big it seems, no matter how impossible the odds, no matter what it has done to you and other people, it holds no dominion over you. Because the... It holds no dominion over you. Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. Because the name of Jesus is above all things. Not some things. The name of Jesus is above all things. And all things means people. It means temptations. It means circumstances. It means a negative mindset. It means your finances. It means your addiction. It means your relationships. It means your insecurities. It also means Satan the father of lies. You see, God created it all, including Satan. He's one of his fallen angels. And I need to interject something here that is very, very important. God and Satan are not equal. You're all saying amen, but I can't tell you how many people give God and Satan equal billing. He is a fallen angel created by God. Much of what you believe you can't have victory over is because you started to believe Satan's lies and you think he is equal to God when he is not. When you can absorb the fact that no matter what you need victory over in your life, God created it 
and God has dominion over it, well, there goes all the hype and all the intimidation right out the window. You see, we tend to, to build these things up that we have victory over, and we, we make them bigger than life. And if it's an addiction of some kind, then really a lot of people just think it's game over. It's, it's, it's completely impossible. Some have been dealing for so long with these issues that you just can't see past them. I hear words spoken like, I can't possibly quit smoking. Or, I can't make it through a day without a drink. This pornography that I view, well, it's just a part of who I am. It's how God wired me. I mean, haven't you read the statistics? The situation I'm in is hopeless, Pastor David. I'm telling you, I can't possibly be free from this. Ladies and gentlemen, our God does not read or believe in statistics. And furthermore, delivering people from strongholds are his specialty. And there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people on the face of this planet who can attest to that. And there are a bunch of you in this room who can attest to that too. Amen. Many things can be your adversary. But whatever it is, to God, it's just another man-made thing that he holds dominion over. You got to remember that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved by the blood of Jesus. You are washed in his word. You are filled with his Holy Spirit, and you too have dominion over those things. That's right. Psalm 1839 says, You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. Don't let the mystique or the hype of your adversary get the best of you. You are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and your adversary will bow at your feet when you choose to take dominion over it. Number three, God will provide all the weaponry needed to obtain victory. Look at Gideon. Everything he needed, God provided. God's method in this instance was so unconventional, it was so far-fetched that no one would have devised such a plan of using trumpets and pitchers and, and candles and shouting. But that's how God works. He works unconventionally, and he works supernaturally. You see, weaponry can be translated as people. It can be translated as circumstances. Weaponry can be favor. It can be strength. It, it can be opportunities. The list goes on and on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. God will always provide a way of victory. But always remember this. Seldom, if ever, will it happen the way that you thought it would. And he will use people, and he will use things, and he will use circumstances that you would never think of. And they are all the weaponry that you need in order to receive your victory. God knows our limited capacity to see past the obvious and all the superficial things that we dwell upon. We become so conditioned, we become so predictable in our rationale and our expectations that we can miss out on what God wants to do in our life. You see, his ways are not your ways. I said that earlier. His methods are not your methods, and they're not mine either. But no matter how he works on your behalf, no matter what method he uses, 
You've got to learn to trust him. Listen, I said this a couple of weeks ago. God never takes you to a place where his grace cannot sustain you, where his love cannot comfort you, where his power cannot propel you to the victory that you need. This is so true. No matter what you need victory over today, trust in him to provide you all the elements and all the weaponry that you need to make it happen. And here's my final point, and probably the most important one of all of them. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that God's spirit caused the miracle on ice of 1980, because I don't think God cares a whole lot about sporting events. But when it comes to our walk with Jesus, it is always through his spirit that we obtain victory. Another reason for using this story of Gideon is how God wanted to make it perfectly clear that it was he who brought about the victory. He didn't want Gideon or anyone else to take credit for what he was about to do. This is how God shows us that he is truly in control. It's how his power is displayed. Thinning out Gideon's army and using broken pitchers and blowing trumpets and yelling were things that normally would not help in the natural realm. But as you can see, in the supernatural realm, it brought about the victory. God would be the only one at that point in that situation to receive the credit because how else in the world could that victory have occurred? And in speaking about things happening not by might, let's talk a little bit about self-sufficiency. I have found that human nature is that we always want to help God along. Now, I'm not trying to contradict what I said earlier about fighting those daily battles. Those were all examples, I believe, of things that we need to do in order to put ourselves in a position to have a strong and committed relationship with our Savior. Because when we do, we will regularly and we will naturally see victories in our daily life. I am referring to times when we choose not to wait upon the Lord and we do things to help pave the way for him to do his thing. We think it can't possibly work out without our intervention. That is attempting to do things by our own might and by our own power when all we need is God's Spirit. See, it was God's Spirit that allowed David, a common shepherd boy, to defeat that gladiator with just one stone. It was God's Spirit that allowed Moses to bring the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt without one battle being fought. It was God's Spirit that allowed the three Hebrew boys to come out of that fiery furnace without even the smell of smoke on their clothing. It was God's Spirit that shut the mouth of, of those lions, the ravenous lions, in that den of where they threw David. It was God's Spirit that opened the doors of the prison, allowing Paul and Silas to simply walk on out of there. And it was God's Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead in order to give you and I salvation and eternal life. God's Spirit is the most precious and the most powerful force on heaven and earth. It is as gentle as a lamb, and yet it is more powerful than the world's greatest armies and weapons. And God uses His Spirit to bring about victory into your life and into my life. Sometimes quietly and without fanfare, and other times boldly and loudly for the rest of the world to see and to hear. But no matter how he does it, you can trust him to give you victory in whatever situation 
you are encountering right now. The question becomes, do you trust him for your victory? Or are you doing all, thi- all of the things within your own strength, your own capabilities, your own knowledge? There comes a time when you just need to step aside and give your problem completely to God and say, I simply can't deal with this on my own anymore. And I am trusting in you, God, and to take care of this in your time and in your way because chances are your way is not going to look anything like what I'm thinking it might be. And that's really the place, I think, where God wants us to be. He wants us to rely upon him. He wants to do a wonderful work on our behalf because he delights in providing for for his children of which you and I fall into that category. And if you are always the one providing the answers and the solutions for your life problems, then he can never do that for you. Liz, would you come forward and help me to close this down? See, I believe that God wants to see you experience his power in your life. Power to overcome things that you just don't think you can overcome. And as I said, he works supernaturally. The victory that you need occurs through the power of God's Spirit. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Quit thinking about all the orderly and manageable ways that you, piece by piece, will eventually obtain victory through your own human efforts and begin to understand that the, the battle belongs to the Lord. Why don't you give him the opportunity to prove that to you? When God brings victory from something that seems insurmountable to you, your life will never be the same again. And your testimony will lead someone else to receive his life-changing power. And as you continue to acknowledge him in all of your ways, just like our scripture says, he will make your path straight. Will you all please stand to your feet, please? There are people here today and who are watching online who desperately need victory over something. You seem to be trapped, and you can't be set free from it. You might need victory over negative thinking, because like the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. And your thinking needs to change if you're ever going to move forward. Perhaps you need victory over an addiction of illegal or even prescription drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's got such a hold on you that you can't let go. Maybe you need victory over insurmountable debt. You feel like you're going under, but God wants to show you how to crawl out from underneath it all. Perhaps you need victory over an eating disorder. If it doesn't come to an end, it's going to kill you. Perhaps there's someone in your life, and all you do whenever you're together is that you quarrel and you fight and you're tired of it, and you need victory over what you're contributing to this volatile relationship. You need to have victory over your anger. Maybe you need victory over the habitual viewing of pornography. 
It's created you walking around in a lust-driven state at all times and unknown to you. It is so skewing your relationships with your, your, your wife, if you're married, and your family. And it's skewing your outlook on your sexuality. And it's not a good outlook. It's a destructive one. Maybe you've come to realize that you have a problem with habitual gossip. All you seem to do is talk about other people and their problems and their perceived shortcomings. And you need victory over it. Maybe you need victory over greed. You're selfish. Generosity and giving it never even crosses your mind. You can't seem to let go of what you believe is yours. And you need victory over that destructive mindset. There are these and a thousand other kinds of things that people need victory over. And you know what your battle is. But God is the only one who can bring about the kind of victory that you need today. In a moment, I want to pray for you. And while I pray for you, while I'm praying, if you are here or you're watching online and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, You've never given him your heart. Please understand the greatest victory is the forgiveness of sin. And that was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. But you've got to ask for it. If you ask, Jesus will forgive you. He will come into your life. His Holy Spirit will help to strengthen you in all areas of weakness or anything that you need victory over. To receive salvation, the Bible says that you must believe and you must confess. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. He is the only way to heaven. You acknowledge that. You acknowledge that he is the Son of God. You acknowledge that he died on the cross for you. You acknowledge that his shed blood atones for your sin. And you ask him for forgiveness. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you can start down a new path, a new life, with the Spirit of God indwelling you and strengthening you to have victory over some of these things that keep you down and keep you under. And if you're here today and you need victory over something, while I'm praying, just, just raise out your hands like this as a sign that you are expecting, you are anticipating to receive something this morning, an outward act of receiving what God has in store for you. And if you don't need victory over anything today, and if everything is right between you and God, then would you pray earnestly for those who are watching online and for those who are in this building who desperately need one of these two things that I've talked about? Can we bow our heads and pray? Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that we have example after example after example of, of victory things that we couldn't even fathom going on in our lives, and yet you came through. Things that kind of make some of our struggles seem minuscule, but yet, God, I know these struggles are real because I've lived them myself. I know they're real. I know that they're a struggle. I know that they're a challenge, but God, greater is the power of you that is in us than anything that we face in this earth. And also, Lord, we know that your name is above all things. Greater is you than anything we're dealing with. So God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. And in the name of Jesus, Father, I stand against whatever these strongholds are in my church family's life and those who are watching online. Father, I pray that you would break the bondage of these strongholds that have been holding on to people for far too long. I pray that today would be a day of freedom where we would walk away 
and start down a path of daily victories to show that you are real, to show that you are all powerful, to show that you have everything in control. And God, give us a trust in you like we've never had before, that we trust you in everything, every move, every word that we find in the word is true. It applies to us and we keep it and, and hold it to ourselves as our very own promise. Lord, let us to live above, help us to live above the fray of all the nonsense of this, this world. All of the entanglements that try to keep us down from fully serving you and turning our life over to you. And God, I pray for those who don't know you today that they would pray a simple prayer of confession, acknowledging who you are, asking for your forgiveness, and asking you to give lordship or to take lordship over their life. And Father, I pray as they pray that, that they will feel your presence in a way like they never have before and that they would reach out to us here at this church and let us know the decision that they made today and that we can come alongside of them and we can help to disciple them in their walk with you. Lord, I thank you for your power. I thank you that there is nothing that you cannot help us to overcome. And my heart's desire is that every one of us in this place and everyone who is watching would truly believe that that power can trump anything that we're dealing with. We make it bigger than it needs to be, and it is big, but it's nothing when compared to you. Let us trust in you. Let us believe in you. Let us truly believe that you are the answer to our life's biggest problems and struggles. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the work that you are doing in hearts. I thank you that you have revealed to some of us today the areas that we need to work on. And I pray that you will give us daily victories until we win this battle. And I thank you for those who have won the battle even now as I've prayed for them. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for being here today. I want to thank those of us who are joining us online. Be sure you come back and join us next week in one of our two services. Till things get back to normal, this is the new norm. It beats not getting together, and I love having you here, and I hope you love being here. So come and join us again. God bless you all. I'll be out there greeting. I can't hug, but I'll, I'll give you fist pumps. How's that?